0: Okay. Yeah. So yesterday we talked about the second verse of the poem. Yeah. So the first verse gives you the idea that this is a post-colonial India and is talking about uh, a peculiar child, right? Because the person uh, stands out and thinks, right? And anybody who stands out and thinks is a problem. Somebody who does something differently is a problem. Right for many people, right? Yeah. So this is something that is imp- uh, oh, hmm. it's recording. Yeah. Yeah. So this is something that's important uh, that we are on the on the third paragraph, right? So we're talking in the second paragraph. We're talking about the idea of the manicured lawns. We also talked about the Indian reality of the sugarcane, right? And then the the statement, the philosophical statement that children are funny things, they laugh in mirth at the others' tears, which reminds us of Dostoevsky, and the idea that children don't understand pain, right? And then she smells the flowers and smells the pain, which is something that you might get in a psychologist called uh, Penfield, who's talking about how uh, um, things which are not, in the surface view are felt. Right? So that's something important. The words are muffled now, the laughing faces only a blur, the years have sped along, stopping briefly, at beloved falls and moving sadly on. My, is, my mind is found, an adult peace, no need to remember, the picnic day, when I lay hidden by a hedge watching this teen white sun standing lonely in the sky. Right? So, what does this verse tell us? Okay? The words are muffled now. Right? So we have this idea of muffling. right? And when you talk about muffling words right? we are talking about uh, not masking but muffling. And that's a very important word, especially because it's supposed to be language study, right? And the words are muffled now, the words are important, and she talks about words thrown at her like pots and pans and not used in a decent way, right? Which is actually talking about how most of us, as Indians, use words, right? That's okay. Of course, she's talking about this post colonial kind of woman, which we don't know whether she's white. We don't know whether she's mixed white and brown, or we don't know whether she's brown. Right? Yeah? So the idea is throwing pots and pans and abusing people is quite a thing that we find in India, and perhaps the British also were, uh, kept doing that in a colonial manner. Right? Uh, Words are muffled now, the laughing faces only a blur. Right? Now in time, the words sound muffled, right, and muffled, uh, first of all, muffled is, uh, is something that is unclear, mumbling or muffling, right, so what do you do when you muffle something out, you try to change your voice, you try to hide your identity, and that's why the words get muffled, so that's one part of it, right, and, uh, the idea of the words getting muffled, right? Is also talking about how the consciousness is suppressed, or how this goes into the subconscious, if you like, right? Because you are supposed to not get up all these things. The words that happened in the past are there, but you muffle them. She's not saying that they erased. Okay? Yes, yeah, so she says. She doesn't say the words are erased now the words are there but they're muffled right the laughing faces only a blur right now she's talking about uh the this sentence is interesting because you can read the laughing faces only a blur right the laughing faces or the laughing faces only a blur right because that's an end stop line right so the laughing is only a blur if you talk about sound, right? But if you talk about faces as an image, right? Then you get one uh, sound image and one uh, visual image, right? The laughing face is only a blur, so that's got both two, right? The laughing is a blur. The laughing as visual, the laughing uh, faces as a visual, and the laughing as a sound, right? And the blur is when it gets muffled. Blurring or muffling is when you get it at a distance, you get everything blurred. When you, okay, it's just like you have a camera, okay, and you get things into focus, right? Then it becomes clear. When the focus is out, then it becomes blurred, right? So we're talking about visual, and whether it's sound or whether it's uh, 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 sound or sight, right? The question is, as we get older, in time, everything becomes uh, less sharp, right? So the idea of the blur, the idea of the muffling, right? This is saying that things are not sharp anymore. The the sharpness and the pain is not as sharp anymore, right? <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> okay, right? The years have sped along, stopping briefly. Right now, he's using a metaphor, right? And the the years are given a kind of animism, right? Or they also have. You can talk about the personification of the idea of the years speeding along, right? Yeah. So a person can speed along, a vehicle can speed along, an animal can speed along, right? So we have. The years have sped along, stopping briefly at beloved halts and moving sadly on. Right? Yeah, so what happens is the years have passed, but they stop at beloved haunts, Halt. study, Right. So you have a halt. Right. Like you have a train stop, or you have a stop in your walk or run or whatever that is. Right. And moving sadly on. Right. So now they. You have sadness and you have happiness in life. So, that's a statement about the years, right? Time speeding on, time changing things, right? And time actually altering things. So, this is the last, uh, the, in the last paragraph, we are talking about time. Yeah, actually, the whole poem is talking about the time that you have in childhood, the time you have as a grown up, right? yeah and the idea of images and sounds and voices that you remember and try to shove out sometimes they don't get shoved out they come back right and uh, the idea is we're talking about time passing away that and you can't stop time right you can stop everything else you can't preserve time right you can't preserve the image of somebody laughing of course you can in, in, if you have a video, but we are not taking video shots all the time. Right? Yeah? So uh, that's something and then this is a question of memory. Right? Uh, and it's also a question of policing. When you find that school is a place where you're policed. Right? You're actually policed to get into a different kind of a world. You're policed to get into the, the world there are more police around, the real police around. So this teacher is like a police person in the kindergarten, right? To bring in fear of the police, to bring in bring, in, uh, bring in fear of government, right? To bring, uh, bring in all these kinds of fears, right? So it's not very innocent that you have a teacher doing all this, right? And what the teachers normally do is they get the prejudices of society, they get their own personal prejudices about gender, about race, about religion, about caste, into their kind of dealing with people and all of us do that, right? Yeah, because we don't think against our prejudices when we act, right? So that's something that is important, right? And now, when the years come on, there are happy times, you stop at a happy moment and you think about a happy moment, right? So it's the same two things, right? And I have stopped at uh, uh, happy stops and I've also stopped at sad stops and I go on from sad, right? So there's some things that are sad, some things that are happy. Uh, We wait and we enjoy a happy moment and we also have sad ways of going on, right? So that's for everybody, right? And at one level, we also act, whether we are teachers or we are students or we as human beings, we act with assumptions and prejudices, right? Yeah, and we can't get rid of that, because without making an assumption, you can't act, right? Yeah, and the assumption takes place, sometimes the assumption is not even verbalized, right? In a seminar and a conference, maybe it takes some time to verbalize your, uh, your, point of view or your argument right but normally what happens is when we act right there is a very quick kind of thinking that goes on so we are pushed into action right and that's something that is very interesting it's like almost uh, instinctive right so when we talk about prejudices these are instinctive because we don't think before We have mouth of prejudices, right? You find people doing that all the time on the internet today, right? And you might like to read uh, Krishna Kumar's article, right? Uh, Which is in today's Indian Express. And if you like, I can send it to you, right? Because I think uh, it's about education and he's a great educationist, right? So he's talking about the digitalization of education, right? The digitalization of uh, 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 the idea of plagiarism, right, yeah, and how you you trust a plagiarism counter rather than a human counter, right, so the idea of displacing the human by a computer and having CCTV cameras and all those kind of things, right, which we used to object to, right, and of course you don't need a CCTV camera because uh, you have a teacher, right, to keep watch on the students, right? The CCTV camera is also actually meant to spy on the teachers, right? Spy on everybody, right? So we have about eight CCTV cameras in our Faculty of Arts and I think it's it's talked about as a great thing when uh, another student of mine came from Calcutta I said, well, how is it that the students have not protested about uh, the cameras all over the place, right? And he was talking about West Bengal where students were uh, up in arms against the camera and they went and smashed all the cameras, right? So the question is, the idea of vigilance, the idea of the CCTV camera, right? And the CCTV camera in school, right, is a real thing, right? So maybe if Kamala Das comes back again uh, to uh, life, right, and goes to school, right, she might be able to catch up. On those images right because the images probably have the laughing children right okay and now that's something that capitalism gives us because we are, we need to possess everything right we need to possess moments that have passed away and that's the way we're getting back at time and we're trying to preserve time yeah we're trying to preserve time we're trying to preserve space we're trying to do all those kind of very very interesting things which uh, keep happening, right? Yeah, the years have sped along, stopping briefly at beloved halts and moving sadly on, right? So it's talking about time, and it's talking about time going on, time passing, right? And without you wanting it to, right? You halt and you spend some more time here and some more time there. And the question is, the time that we're talking about, emotional, emotionally how do you look at time, right? So do you have women's time, you have men's time, you you feel that a certain year has been very slow, you we also feel that certain years are very fast, right? Time moves very fast sometimes, time moves very slow, right? Depending on how involved we are, what we want to do with that time, right, yeah? So if you talk about lovers, they like to spend uh, more time with each other, right? Yeah, so that's something that is interesting and when she says beloved holds, right, she's talking about moments of life or things in life that you like and you like to spend some more time there, right, and you like to spend and feel the moment, right, so that's something that's important, right, how do you feel the moment, right, so she's talking about the idea of smelling uh, the rose and smelling the pain, right, which is actually feeling the pain, right, And she's actually doing something that Wordsworth could be talking about. That's the association of ideas. And going and revisiting this kind of uh, time which is past, right? Of course, uh, Wordsworth gives it a very interesting kind of uh, twist, okay? And he precedes Freud when he says, When oft upon my couch I lie, in vacant or in pensive mood. They flash upon the in, inner eye, which is the bliss of solitude, right? So, when we talk about the romantics, they're dealing with the mind, right? And he's talking about the daffodils, and he's talking about imagination, and he's talking about it, how it comes back, right? Now, Penfield, Bern, Freud, all the, uh, Jung and all the other psychologists have talked about feelings in the same way because they've been highly Freud himself was a high, highly, uh, what, what would you call it, a high uh, consumer of literature, right? Yeah, and that's why uh, literature people like reading Freud, right? Yeah, and here you get this idea of going back to time, and that's we all know, and that's a philosophical statement that time is speeding on. Right? Yeah. Time swing it, chariot hurries near. That's Milton. Right? Yeah. And the stops of time, we're talking after the train. Yeah. So the idea of the journey, time going on, like the train going on. Right? And you have a stop. Right? And of course, you uh, keep stopping as long as you can, and then you're forced to go on. And very sadly you forced to go on, right? My mind has found an adult peace. No need to remember, right? So my mind has found an adult peace. Right? Now, is an adult peaceful? That's a question, right? And the idea of the idea of saying, adult peace, my mind has become an adult. Right? She's not saying I have become an adult. My mind has found peace, right? And it's as if the mind is detached from the body, right? And is it as if the mind is doing its own thing, right? Yeah. So the body is not found peace, but the mind is found peace, right? And an adult peace, right? Now the question is, uh, you're talking about childhood, and childhood has been traumatic, right? So there's no peace over there, right? So you have the adult peace, which is supposed to be a tranquility which comes up much later in life, right? So the idea is we mature with age, or we are supposed to mature with age. Some people do, some people don't, right? Okay, some people are still in the same uh, kind of position that they were many, many years ago, right? Yeah? You have people who don't change at all, right? And suddenly something happens to them and they An incident changes them, right? Yeah, so you find people who are vicious people, right? And a death or an accident or uh, even somebody something more positive, right? Like a lover coming to their life might transform them, right? Yeah, so that's something that you have when you talk about adult peace because as human beings, our body grows up to a point, okay? There are po- parts of our body like our hair and our nails which keep growing and our skin keeps changing every four days, right? But the mind keeps growing on and on and on, right? Yeah, And many philo- philosophers believe that uh, the mind keeps learning and absorbing even without the idea of uh, consciousness, right? Yeah, Even a, uh, the idea of consciousness or a different kind of consciousness which uh, is not vocalized, it's not thought about Right? the the mind is absorbing all sorts of things. So that's a kind of philosophical position about the mind because we don't know where the mind is. The brain is not the mind, yeah. And uh, some people say the mind is in the nerves. Okay, so is the mind in the nerves? Okay, you talk about a muscle memory when you're doing uh, 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 what is called ballet, and when you're dancing, and when you are uh, doing your uh, what is called. Uh, Uh, The yoga, right? So we're talking about muscle memory. When you're doing gymnastics, we're talking about muscle memory. So where is the mind? We don't know, right? And if people associate mind with the brain, well, then when the brain dies, the mind also dies, right? Krishnamurti says that, right? And you might like to look at all that, right? And now she's saying, my mind has found an adult peace, right? Now, is adulthood associated with the body? or is adulthood associated with the mind, right? And we have all these problems still coming up, right? Because your adulthood is taken by your uh, physical birth, right? And that's the idea of adulthood, right? So after the age of 21, you're supposed to be an adult. Psychologists might say that after the age of 24, you're an adult. You're still an adolescent between the ages of uh, 12 to 24, right, yeah so what is the adult peace when does that adult peace come in what is time, right and some people uh, are very little and they get very mature because of all the things that they've seen, all the things that have happened to them right, yeah, so you have all these people, uh, whether it's uh, on the Kargil border or whether it's in uh, all these concentration camps or uh, these uh, refugee camps in uh, 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 Sarajevo right or any of those kind of places right Uh, Syria all those very very troubled places right so the question is uh, how do you understand the idea of trauma how do you understand the mind how do you get peace right and the idea is we do not know very much about the mind yeah so we say my mind is at peace right yeah, so, what was before it? How do you say that my mind is not at peace? Right? We say that we are disturbed. We are upset. We are in chaos. Right? Many, very many, many people would not admit that they are in chaos. And if you admit you are in chaos, then it becomes paradoxical. Right? Because if I know I am in chaos, am I in chaos? Right? If I say that I am drunk, am I drunk? Yeah? So, these are questions. Or if I say that I'm a liar, am I a liar, right, yeah, will a liar say that he or she is a liar, right, so all those kind of paradoxical bits come in when we're talking about the mind, so technically we are adults by the age of 21, by the body's age, or the recorded age, may not be the body, right, somebody might give you a wrong date, you might be, uh, uh, yeah, right, older or younger than uh, we are, right. Yes, yeah, so have you said something? Right? Uh, I don't know where are. Uh, Yeah. So, uh, we are talking about uh, the idea of being an adult, okay, and the idea of being a child. Right? So, what is going on over there? So, is it physical or the idea of... Uh, yeah, the catch-22? Yes. Uh, yes, catch-22 situation. Is what it's called, but it's a question of not quite a catch situation, it's a question of a paradox, right? Like Wordsworth would say, child is part of the man, and I wish my days to be bound uh, each to each by natural piety, right? Yeah, so when you talk about the child and the man, okay, the child is supposed to be a little man or a homunculus, right? So that's the understanding of it, right? And then You find that uh, whatever happens in childhood is very important because that's actually maturing happens over there, learning happens over there, right? Yeah, and uh, you carry that learning with you to adulthood, right? And how to uh, ignore the laughter, how to ignore the pain, how to suppress pain, how to deal with pain, right? That's what we learn slowly in childhood, right? So that's when we learn it. Right, and then in adulthood we continue with the same things that we've learned. Right, so when she says my mind is found in adult peace, I can go and revisit that. Right, and I'm not terribly upset about it anymore. Right, because it's already passed. I've already lived through it, so I can go and relive it again. And that's what we talked about yesterday. That is, we're talking about the idea of. Uh, Catharsis, right? And we need to go back and live all these experiences through, because if we don't live them through, what happens is they uh, they actually are somewhere in our psyche and they're trouble, right? Yeah. When we've lived it through, then at one portion of time we feel free and we've got rid of it, right? Now has that happened? Has that not happened? Right? The very fact that she's writing a poem about it means that it's not happened, right? And the minute that she says, my mind has found an adult peace, it's also saying something that, my mind has not found an adult peace. Right? Yeah? Or I try to pretend. Yeah, that's what we all do. I try, maybe you can frame the sentence in a different way. I try to pretend that my mind has found an adult peace. Right? Or I try to say that I've forgotten about that, that's so... Far away in childhood, the memories are blurred, the laughter is blurred, but there's that little streak that still retained, right? And that's what uh, people say about the body, that the body remembers and there's one little cell, okay, that keeps memory traps about things which are very far away, right? So, you might like to think about what exactly is memory, right? Is memory in the body, is memory in the mind? What is the mind? Is the mind inside the body, outside the body, right? And what what happens when we sleep? Right? Yeah? And what happens when we dream? That's most important, right? Okay, the body is asleep, the mind is not asleep, right? All those kind of things are interesting, and the mind is reinventing your day and putting it in its own order without your conscious thought, right? And you're not consciously uh, ordering things, right? And those Though you have the idea of uh, the conscious and the subconscious and the unconscious, right? And how does the conscious become the subconscious and the unconscious? All all those kind of things Freud might tell you about, right? Uh, So, my mind has found an adult peace. That's questionable. Does any mind find an adult peace? Yeah. And uh, what happens with trauma? Right? Because she's talking about the trauma of living, right? And all of us go through traumatic experiences, right? Leaving home is a traumatic experience, right? Even birth for many people is, or perhaps for everybody, is a traumatic experience because we come from a warm womb into a world that is cold, right? Yeah? So that's uh, supposed to be from a Freudian perspective, of course, right? Okay, and then we talked about the idea is uh, we talked about burying the pain, right? I buried my face in the warm, the sun-warmed hedge, right? And that's again going back to the womb, as, as the uh, Freudians would say, right? Yeah, so that's something that keeps happening again and again. One likes to receive or what is called is called psychological regression, regressing into childhood. Regressing into the womb, regressing into the childish phase, or whatever that thing is, right? Yeah. So we are talking about regression. We are talking about memory. Okay. And she's saying that I make a when somebody makes a claim that I have, I'm an adult, right? There's a, a lot of contradiction over there. Right? I'm an adult. Ask a question. Adult by government standards, yeah, or I'm allowed to vote. You can vote at 18, right? But uh, you're not an adult till you're 21. You can get married at 18 also, right? But you're not an adult till you're 21, right? So all those kind of uh, contradictions are about there, and psychology would say that you're an adult only at about 24, right? Yeah, because your mind, uh, and I don't know whether that's even true, because you find that people, uh, it's only after later stages in life, right, uh, you find that they mature, right they actually uh, go back to their memories, they rethink their positions, something else comes in, right, yeah, and they can rethink what they didn't have time to think of when they were children, right, yeah so, uh, you'll find that after some time you say, well, I shouldn't have behaved like that, right now that's a kind of maturity right, yeah at least you're reflecting on the past. Right? So what this poem is actually telling us is reflection is important. Right? Yeah? And reflection and also moving on. Right? And uh, what we talked about in the pre-reading skills that we had, we talked about nostalgia. Right? Yeah? So you have nostalgia and a kind of fetishism that we have for school. Right? At one level we like it and another level we don't like it. Uh, We have happy memories, we have sad memories. Uh, We might like to go back and visit a day in school, right? Or we might not, right? Uh, I remember a play by uh, Fountain Wilder called uh, Our Town, right? Where you have a a woman who's a, a chief protagonist of the play, Emily, right? She dies and she goes to heaven and you have a stage manager, right? And he is talking to her, and she says, well, uh," he asks her, would you like to live one day of your life again, right? And he says, don't choose a very important day, right? Uh, Because you might not be able to handle it. Most human beings can't, right? And she says, yes, I want to live my 13th birthday again, right? So he lets her live that birthday. And she can see herself as a little child of 13 and she looks at it with a different perspective as a dead person who's gone up to heaven wherever she is. Right? Yeah? So she looks at that and she says, well, please Mr. Stage Manager, I want to get out of this. Right? And what she doesn't notice as a child, she notices as an adult. Right? So, and as a dead person, actually it's a dead person. Uh, who comes there right and she's actually saying a spirit who comes there she's actually sees that a mother has put in so much effort to make her birthday a memorable event right and as a child she's taking it for granted right so this taking for grantedness is very important right and Emily asked the stage manager a very important question do people really live life and the stage manager says, some do, maybe poets and mystics do. right? The other people don't live life, they just hurry through. Right? So this poem is also telling us about reflecting upon life, re- reflecting upon things that hurt us, things that trouble us, right? going back and visiting and revisiting them, till they don't hurt anymore. That's the ideal, but a little bit of hurt, a little bit of pain, will be a scar on the psyche, right? So that's something else that we need to think about, no matter, today we are talking about Derrida and the idea of erasure and writing under erasure, right? When we think about the mind, we are erasing a lot of stuff and we are filling our minds with new stuff, right? But what is erased is something that we cannot really say that is erased, right? It seems to be erased, right? Yeah? It looks as if it's erased, but there is a whole layer of erasure uh, of a lot of things, right? And that's exactly what's so interesting about this poem, right? You might like to erase this memory, right? It comes, it's blurred, right? But the pain is there, the hurt is there, and you try to relive it in some ways, and in some ways the sharpness has gone away, right? So it's talking about the visual, and it's talking about the oral, right? A-U-R-A-L right, that's sound, right, and it's actually talking about the idea of peace, right, okay, so the mind, uh, the physical attributes of the mind, and the idea of memory, and uh, the idea of laughter, was it loud laughter, soft laughter, all those kind of things, uh, and this is a visual memory, right, yeah. No need to remember the picnic day, when I lay hidden by a hedge, watching the steel-white sun standing lonely in the sky. Right? Now she's doing something very interesting. Right? She talks about the honey colored day. She talks about the sun warmed age. Right? And now she's talking about the steel white sun. Right? So the sun from golden becomes steel white. Right? So that's as important and it's a picnic day, right? So a picnic day is a day which is supposed to be happy, right? It's supposed to be exciting, and it's tinged with sorrow, it's tinged with sadness, it's tinged with this kind of being upbraided by the teacher, right? Yeah, And all that is a memory of a picnic day, right? Okay, and the idea is the picnic day where I, when I lay hidden, by a hedge, right, yeah, and now the question is, what does this mean, yeah, that is, I, and I'm going back to myself, and I'm talking about a hedge, and I hid in a hedge, did I hide in a hedge like a flower, or like a hedgehog, right, and are the the pricks of the hedgehog's quills affecting me? Or are the pricks of other people affecting me, right? And of course, uh, the innuendo of, of course is with pricks because the sun is a phallic symbol, right? Yeah? So it's uh, it's actually saying a honey-colored day of peace because it's talking about the golden light of the sun, okay? Honey, and uh, the sun the light is almost like honey, right? And that becomes something else because uh, she talks again of the sun-warmed hedge, Right? In the first part, she doesn't mention it, right? In the second part, except through honey color, right? The, uh, and she's talking about a woman. the second verse, she's talking about sun, warm, hedge. She's talking about feeling and the sun, right? Yeah? Yeah, so that's important. And in the third part, she talks about watching the steel white sun, right? Now the question is, the sun changes, Right? The sun is not golden all the time. Sometimes we have the sun which is steel white, right? And why does she use steel white, right? Yeah, so that is again perhaps a sexual image because the idea of steel and as hard as steel and all these kind of things, there with the idea of the sun being white, right? And the idea of steel white can also mean because she's actually taking cudgels against the English right yeah because they're white and everybody else is black right so that's one uh, that's another kind of way of looking at it so the the steel white becomes important right okay standing lonely in the sky right yeah and that's the lonely word takes it back to words word. i wandered lonely as a cloud right and we're talking about the sun standing in the sky right and we know that the sun keeps moving right But the idea of loneliness and uh, the sun being lonely, right, that is, men being lonely, okay, because the sun is a phallic symbol, so you don't, when you talk about the sun being lonely, you have to talk about the moon, right, I don't know if you've uh, heard of this poem called The Worldress and the Carpenter, yeah, the sun was standing in the sky, standing with all its might. uh, shining, sorry, the sun was shining in the sky, shining with all its might, it did its very best to make this billows smooth and white right, and that was all because it was the middle of the night, that's Lewis Carroll right, from Alice in Wonderland right, and what's interesting is uh, the moon is also there and the moon says, well it's not right for the sun to come and spoil the fun, right because This is my territory. Night is my territory. Right? And day is the sun's territory. Right? Yeah? So, of course, that's contradiction because women are not allowed in in the night out. Right? That's where the Pindra Thor movement begins. Right? Because women are saying, well, men are allowed to move in the night. How is the night not meant for women? Right? So the sun... It's a faculty bridge, right, and the sun is, uh, if you talk about Lewis Carroll's poem, you get this idea of the sun and the moon, and uh, the moon is the territory of the night, and the sun has its territory in the day. The time of the sun and the time of the moon, right, so the idea of time and space are fused, right, yeah? So here you have this image of the picnic day when I lay in the head, and now she's saying, well, I don't think about it. No need to remember the picnic day when I lay hidden in by a hedge watching the steel sun, white sun standing lonely in the sky, right? Now you go and this one is in time your the color of the ch- sun has changed, right? So your memory of the sun is steel white, right? It was golden but now it's steel white, right? and the sun was lonely. So I'm following the example of the sun. Right? So the steel white is also about hardness, right? Yeah? And the phallic image of the sun. And she's a feminist poet, right? So she's talking about that, and she's saying, well, if the sun can be lonely, why can't I? Right? So that's the feminist angle to it, which is very cleverly done. Right? Yeah? And uh, it might miss out. Right? You might miss it out. Right? So the idea is, no, she's saying, well, this is the sun and this is a phallic image right? and if uh, men can stand, and that's 100% Freudian, because Freud actually talks about uh, men having only uh, the phallus or one kind of point where uh, they sense things and they remember things and all those kind of things and women have this whole idea the whole body is uh, sexually sensitive right yeah so that of course uh, many feminists don't like talking about this because Freud is supposed to be an anti-feminist right so you might like to think about that right so then the question is why did you have a problem with me when I stood out against a crowd the sun also stands out against a crowd right and what do you think of this line no need to remember the picnic day okay so when you begin to say no need to remember It's actually, remember, right? It's like uh, George Lakoff, who's a linguist, who says, uh, don't think of an elephant, right? What do you do? You think of an elephant. Yeah, so that's the statement that you make, right? Or I think I I said this to you once, right? When, When Shekhar Gupta says, you know, Modi is not Mao, right? And you say, well, you're actually saying he's Mao, right? Yeah, so that's as interesting as it gets. So when we're talking about words, uh, we are actually talking about memory and words, right? We are also talking about how do you use words, and no need to remember our words, which are saying, "Well, remember," right? Yeah, and the whole idea of memory is very, very important because how do you remember? How do communities remember? Right? And some communities, uh, in fact the Jews have this idea called the Memorare, right? And remember, remember, remember the night when you left Israel. Remember the night when you fought Pharaoh. Remember, okay, so that's a communal kind of memory which we are talking about. And we function in these ways also. You have a, an idea of a shared memory, cultural memory, right? Uh, We also talk about this idea of uh, uh, the collective unconscious, a union idea, right? Which I don't know how to explain it, right? And it's probably a little too fantastic to talk about because it's actually talking about culture, cultural memory, right? And how does cultural memory uh, work, right? And what she's doing over here is she going back? She's going back to her childhood and actually talking about what happened over there, right? But the question uh, is the collective unconscious, uh, I don't know if it's too fantastic a a kind of idea, right? And how does one understand that kind of idea is something that uh, has to be thought about, right? Because uh, uh, it's about images and picking up images and uh, picking up feelings and sensations and Things which happen around the time that you were born or around the time that you live gets into this kind of a psychological uh, or what you call a collective unconscious. That's, yeah. So it's not only you but if somebody is a, a, a dictator or a killer or something happens with a lot of murders right? or you have somebody uses this when he's talking about the murder of John Paul I who was a pope, who was supposed to be murdered and the book is called In God's Name. Right? He's talking about uh, a person being born in uh, Chicago. Right? Yeah? And you're talking about two people born in the same uh, kind of situation. Right? And uh, he's talking about Al Capone, right? who we know was a, a mafioso. Right? Yeah? And you're talking about two people who turn out differently, who are born in the same city at the same amount of time. At the same time, right? And uh, how to how so? It's actually deflating this kind of collective unconscious or whatever that collective unconscious means, right? Because there are very different ways of explaining it, and uh, whether one has got the right kind of understanding of it or not, that is uh, perhaps to be thought about, right? Yeah. So we are looking at uh, linguistic. Uh, markers, like, no need to remember that picnic day, whereas, no need to remember that picnic day, actually remember the picnic day, right? And this is not only here, right? Uh, You have that as a part of rhetoric, right? In Shakespeare, when uh, Antonio, uh, Anthony says in Julius Caesar, right? And Brutus is an honorable man, right? He goes am saying, and Brutus is an honorable man, and Brutus is an honorable man, and Brutus is an honorable man, which means that Brutus is not an honorable man, right? And Brutus is a brute, right? Yeah? Uh, so you get all that uh, ideas uh, over there in the play, right? So when you talk about somebody being a very good man, right? And uh, yeah, we were, we are doing a course, and everybody pays heed to Modi, right? Dear... Yes, sir. almost every speaker says, Yira Narendra Modi is great, and Narendra Modi is great, and Narendra Modi is great. So, uh, yeah, so that's how we understand it, because what do we mean by it, how do we understand it, right? Yeah. So, in rhetoric, why are they saying all this, right? Or if somebody says, I'm an honest man, I'm an honest man, I'm an honest man, I'm an honest man, right? You immediately say, well, there's something that the person is hiding. Right, so this is an aspect of literature and language, right, and how we use it, right, and you have this a uh, very good example from uh, politics again when Indira Gandhi kept saying, "Well, I don't want Rah- uh, Rajiv Gandhi to join politics," right, and that's exactly what she was saying. She said, "I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it." And actually, he joins politics, right? Yeah, so that's. Uh, a figure of speech called an Occupatio, right, yeah, it's, you keep, uh, it's not Lakoff who comes up with this, right, okay, when he says don't think about an elephant, Occupato means it's occupying your mind, right, yeah, and uh, you say don't don't talk about this, and immediately that happens, and you actually get that uh, image which you're trying to erase, right, yeah, so. Uh, yeah. Any other things? So, the organization of the poem, the first bit is talking about a childhood incident, right? But it's peppered with a lot of colonial scenes, like a frock teacher, the idea of a colonial school, right? The idea of education, COVID, being colonial, right? Yeah. And it's also got things to do with pain, and it's got all those Freudian angles about pleasure and pain and all that kind of thing and that's why the honey-coloured day, this warm smell of the hedge, right? And putting my head into the, yeah, so the idea of shame and so it's mixed, right? So it's mixed with a lot of feelings, with pain, with, uh, with uh, uh, the scenery of the day, with the warmth of the hedge, right? So it's not a single kind of straight uh, one emotional, one thought kind of thing, right? And it's giving a lot of weight to the complexity of all of us, right? And I think that's important to talk about because uh, we have a lot of suicides which are taking place today, right? Because people cannot cope up with the complexity of life, right? And of course, to go to uh, Krishnamurti, Krishnamurti talks about belief is suicide, right? So when we go to fundamentalist religion of any kind, we are actually going back to committing suicide, right? I can't think about religion because it's a contradictory. Uh, it's got all this feeling and it's got the thought and the thought and the feeling has to be looked at. Literature is also like that, right? So, uh, literature people should not actually commit suicide because when we're doing literature, we get a lot of complexity, right? Yeah? And this poem is actually asking us to look at our childhood as complex, right? Yeah? And some people think that as adults, uh, all this st- storm and stress uh, gets nullified, right? But it doesn't, right? It's still a part of you, but it might have toned down because of not having the energy to get it over that, right? So that's something that is important to think about. And when we find that we go to the fourth, uh, the third verse, right? immediately see that there is a kind of a movement, right? Which is talking about the idea of language, which is there in the first verse, right? We have the pots, pots and pans, and then we have all these words and the world, and the the world and the words are muffled, right? So, if you take a linguistic approach, which we are supposed to do, right? Some words have a concept associated with them, right? The concept, the word, and the reality. Right? so that's a triangle that many French linguists try to draw right how you relate the word the world and the concept right and there is a, a kind of a correlation and it's a triangle that you have right so you might like to think of that because when you're talking about an image right the image is not even verbal right yeah so the, the image of the day that went if you imagine it, and I imagine it, the lawn I've seen and the lawn you've seen and the lawn I've imagined, right? These are three or four different things, right? Yeah. So that's something else that you can look for and you can think about because when we're talking about the idea of imagination, what happens to the imagination, right? Yeah. And what happens to the world, right? If you say he took up a knife, right? Now You might imagine a huge knife, which is going to go right through me, or I might imagine a little knife, which is fit to go only uh, into the pocket, or not even cut anything, right? So, uh, what is imagination? So we have a huge amount of and different shapes of knives, right? So if you say he took up a knife, what happens? It might be a serrated knife, a bread knife. It might be. A knife which is meant to chop bones and chop meat right it might be a knife to chop vegetables right which is very broad and is, is very sharp but at the same time it's a different kind of knife right so th- what happens in imagination what happens with the sound right now how do you imagine the laughter of children right she is actually tying up the laughter with the concept of pain right so the idea of laughter and pain right And sometimes laughter hurts why does laughter hurt right so you say well when anybody laughs I have a problem right I had a friend who is not quite okay right and uh, she kept telling me you know people started waving shoes at me right she always uh, anytime she has uh, a tense situation she finds people uh, the red color, very abusive shoes, becoming very abusive, right? So that's a kind of a real psychological problem that she has, right? Yeah. So that's a metaphor for saying I'm scared, right? Yeah. So you might like to look at all these things because what Kamala Das is doing is she's giving you the post-colonial, she's giving you a psychoanalytical view into being, right? She's talking about Indian reality. She's talking about uh, how this is a kind of a syncretic culture between uh, the European and the Indian or whatever that Indian is, right? Because we don't have one Indian, we have many Indians and we don't have one European, we've got many Europeans, right? So what is the meeting point about the idea, okay, and you have one system which is European put on a different kind of people with a different kind of history, right? Uh, yeah. So, all those kind of very complex things have happened to us as human beings, right? And the idea of the post-colonial consciousness is not so simple as many people think it is, right? Yeah, because we don't even understand, first of all, it's very difficult to understand our own culture, right? Uh, that's something that all the people who are culture vultures over. I don't know what they call them, right? They try to simplify it. And they say, this is Indian culture. This is the value of being an Indian, right? That's uh, something very difficult to take, right? Because how many of us know our culture? And what is this idea of a known culture? That's a claim, which is a political claim, right? Yeah? So when you say, uh, and many people going around saying, the Hindu culture. Now, what is that Hindu culture, right? When did it come in, right? Are women included? Are women excluded? And then it's so different in different parts of India, right? And even in the south, you have a lot of local deities who are not considered Hindu or in the Hindu pantheon, right? Yeah, so are they Hindus or not Hindus, right? Or the Bhutas, they're not uh, not part of the, uh, the, the, the typical Hindu pantheon, right? I don't know about the northeastern gods and goddesses, the mythology. Is it part of India? or not, or the part of the Hindu, or not, right, yeah, so what is that, right, so these are very important kinds of things that Kamala Das is talking about, right, yeah, and we are talking about post-colonialism which is actually shifting a lot of these ideas of a staid simple kind of culture, right, it's not simple, it's not simple at all, right, when anybody talks about their own culture, right, you go and meet people in another country, right? How much do they know of their own history? Almost nothing. Just like we have in India, right? A lot of us do not know our history and do not take the trouble to learn it. It doesn't come natural, right? Yeah. If feminism doesn't come natural. It has to be learned, right? Yeah. Being a Dalit doesn't come natural. Yeah. You can talk about the president of India, right? And the, the kind, he's not Red Ambedkar, right? So I, I don't know whether race makes him a Dalit, or the background, or his birth makes him a Dalit, or do you become one of these people who are conscious about the idea of the arguments that the Dalits are making from a long period of time, right? So, that's something else, right? Being a woman, or becoming a woman, right, as Simon de Beauvoir says, and becoming a feminist, right? Now, these are things that are very slow, complicated, Yeah? Uh, and very, very complex because uh, the whole idea of how do you become a woman, how do you become a man, how do you become gay or lesbian, or bi or transsexual or whatever that is. The whole sexuality becomes very, very complicated, right? And that's one. And the other thing is how do we learn that we are feminist, right? And becoming a woman, being a woman is not being a feminist, right? And that's something important to think of, Right? Because many people think that just because you're a woman, you're a feminist. Not at all, right? Women keep, and that's what you have in the first verse of this poem, right? When women, and that's why the sun becomes so important, right? When women inculcate the patriarchy and play out all the uh, politics of the male, uh, the, the males in society who are, and the patriarchy which is all over the place, right? Yeah, and... Uh, so this all-pervasiveness of the sun and all-pervasiveness of masculinity, right? And the sun is going and standing lonely in the corner. That's a kind of a feminist assertion to say that, well, the, and it was not this bright, harsh sun, but it's standing lonely in the sky, and he's not even been able to do his work with me, right? Yeah, so you have the idea of the steel white sun. Yeah, hard, you talk about hard as steel, right? Yeah, so the question is, at one level, we, uh, that's a sexual image, right? And at the same time, it's also saying that when we're talking about the, the, the sun, right? Uh, it's a kind of a hard sun and it's hard and white because this is uh, post-colonial, right? And this is something that we get from the white person, right? So all those kinds of images mixed together and uh, though it's a ordinary, seems to be an ordinary poem, it's not really an ordinary poem. Because it's taking up, and of course, maybe it's not even good as far as versification and uh, organization is concerned, though the three verses are organized fairly well, right? Yeah, and there's a progression from verse 1 to verse 2 to verse 3, right? Yeah, maybe you can shuffle the verses up and see how you like to read them, because that's how you, suppose you begin with the first, uh, the last verse first, and say, The words are muffled now, the laughing face is only a blur, the years have sped along stopping briefly at, uh, at Beloved Halls and moving sadly on. My mind is found an adult piece, no need to remember, right? Yeah, and then you have the first verse after that, right? You're juggling up the poem and you're putting it in a different kind of way, right? Yeah, or you put the first, the second verse first, right? I used to do all these things in my class because uh, these are ways of making people look at a poem from a linguistic point of view, which we have to do, Right? Suppose I take each one of these sentences and give it to you as a puzzle, right? I can't do that, right? But if we have to put them together, right? If I am supposed to organize these words, how will I put them, right? Or I am uh, supposed to organize these lines or sentences, Will I put them in a different manner?